In this episode, I have four stories that were submitted to me on dreadsarmy.com, your number one news source for strange and weird news. I post most of the encounters I receive on the website, and it gets updated four to five times a day with the latest strange and weird news from around the globe. If you haven't visited dreadsarmy.com, well, what are you waiting for? Now let's get to the stories. Hi there, Donovan. I'm writing to you from Manhattan. I know your fans usually tend to be from rural areas. And the encounters happen like at parks and stuff. But I saw something this week that I think you might be interested in. There's no room in the city for creatures like Bigfoot. But there's lots of room for other small critters. I know now that there's more wildlife in the city than just pigeons and subway rats. And I think that there's an organization here that's dedicated to making sure New Yorkers don't find out about them. I work doing DoorDash and Uber Eats all over Manhattan. I got my own little electric bike, and I can bring in about $100 for three hours of work, so it's a pretty good gig. That being said, I tend to work some odd hours, and can get myself in some sketchy situations. My old bike was stolen when I was inside of a building. They even cut through my chain lock. I was only gone for like three minutes, but it's ruthless here, and people can really take advantage of one another. After that, I always try to keep my eye out during my deliveries. It's been a few times now that I've seen some shady characters down in the subway at night, and it's not the usual homeless dudes or drunks or the usual criminal types. In fact, these guys are like the exact opposite. They're almost like the men in black characters, and I feel kind of dumb saying that, but they really do look like them. They're usually wearing full suits and ties, and sometimes they've got sunglasses on. I've only seen men, and they're always in pairs of two or groups of three. They kind of walk in sync like left foot, right foot, and on a dime. Usually one of them is holding a backpack by the top handle. Not crazy or unheard of. I mean, lots of men who are in finance have backpacks. But there was just something about these guys that seemed out of place. When it's late like that at night, the only people out are usually inebriated or sleeping on the benches. 90% of the time, they've just got their noses in their phones and headphones in. After my bike got stolen, I've been extra diligent and keep my eyes up all of the time. It was like 2 a.m., and I was trying to figure out if I could catch the J at Bowery Station in Lower Manhattan. No one else really was down there, not even the usual characters. I was standing on the platform when two of those guys in suits came out. They were acting more frantic than usual and talking to each other in hushed voices. I'm just standing there, and out of the corner of my eye, I see a rat crawl on the tracks. It's pretty typical for these critters to live down there, and I've certainly seen my fair share over the years. One even ran over my foot while I was waiting for a ride once. But this rat was like running so fast. It was definitely trying to get away from something, and it was moving frantically. I felt bad for the little thing and thought maybe it knew that being on the tracks was dangerous. When the two men spotted the rat, they stopped talking right away and walked right onto the yellow marker next to the track. Now, if you're a New Yorker, you know you should never get that close to the rail, and definitely shouldn't jump down onto the tracks. But that's exactly what they did, because in the next instant, the two men were on the floor and one scooped up the rat into a backpack. I was just standing there shocked and confused, and I maybe let out a gasp. But I definitely didn't want to get involved. Once the rat was in the guy's backpack, The entire thing started shaking, and obviously he was trying to get out. 
It was more strong than a normal rodent, though, like it was desperate, and I could tell it was hitting something metal inside the bag. As they were climbing up and off the tracks, the dude dropped the bag and I could see it starting to rip. The rat was chewing the fabric to bits, and I could hear metal scraping like a few seconds later. The rat popped out of the bag, but when it came out, it looked a lot different than it did when it went in. It was like a foot long, with a wide-barreled body and these huge, sharp teeth. Its eyes were glowing red, and its hair was standing up straight at all angles. This thing had yellow claws, and it didn't look scared anymore. Instead, it was like frothing at the mouth and angry. The two guys looked terrified and jumped back away from it. We started to hear the subway coming from around the corner, and that giant rat heard it too, because its ears started twitching and it ducked into a hole in the grate that led under the platform. The guys pulled out their phones and started to call someone, but I just realized I needed to get out of there as soon as possible. So I hopped onto the train and headed home. Now, I've seen these men before, but I had no idea that they could have been involved in something like this. I don't know if that rat was a mutant or a lab rat or what, but something was seriously wrong about it, and it basically shape-shifted right before my eyes. I'm going to stay out of that subway at night, but I'll write in if I see any more of these creatures. Thanks for sharing my story, and stay safe. Hi Donovan, I really appreciate what you're doing with the show. I've got a sighting from this past winter that I want to put out there, and I think you'll enjoy it. So I'm a park ranger in upstate New York. I generally stick around in the winter even though that's a slow time for the park because I like the quiet. A big part of the job around that time is collecting all the litter and stuff that's been left behind. We have to grab it before the snow comes, or it'll stay there until spring and make an even bigger mess. Me and another ranger, George, set out on a litter run one day. We set out pretty early, like 5 in the morning, because we were going to have a blizzard starting that week. Everyone had been working overtime, because we all wanted to leave before it hit. Now, there's a river that runs to the south side of the park. People tend to get real careless around the river. They try to feed the fish, and then they end up drinking and leaving all kinds of litter. I was in charge of making sure the riverbank was absolutely clear. We can't afford to have anything that isn't supposed to be there, because it's a real fragile ecosystem. So me and George start walking along the riverbank. George is really good at spotting animal tracks, and noticing if anything came into the area before us. We'd only been walking for a few minutes when he says he sees these hoof prints. And we don't allow horseback riding in the park. None of the rangers have horses either. So my first thought is that he must be mistaken. We've all been pulling 14-hour days and hopped up on coffee. It wouldn't be surprised if he started to see things. But then he shows me. And he's right. There's a trail of these tracks that walks right up to the edge of the river, then doubles back into the forest. And the prints are huge. George says that it's got to be as big as a horse, but it's walking on two feet. And we both know that that doesn't make any sense. I'm not freaked out, but like something feels off, you know. And I'm the senior ranger, so I have to make the call on whether we follow those tracks or not. And I say we go. So we follow these tracks into the forest. We can tell that the animal is headed southeast, but we've got no clue how long it's been out there. And this is a pretty dense section of the park. Between the mud, the frost, and the undergrowth, it must have had a tough time of it. But the prints were pretty deep, so whatever it was was pretty heavy. George thinks it might have come from the highway, 
way out at the edge of the park. It might be someone's exotic pet that fell off a truck or got lost. We've had situations like that before, and it's always a headache. But we follow the tracks for about 20 minutes, and then all of a sudden I smell rotten eggs. It makes me want to gag. We can't tell where it's coming from, so we just keep pushing forward. There's a spot where the animal's trail gets really confusing. George says it might have hurt itself and had to start dragging one of its legs. He says the trail ends right at this hollowed-out tree. We approach the tree cautiously as we can. We don't know if the animal is inside, and we can't afford to get hurt. Now the rotten egg smell is really strong and almost metallic. I have to cover my mouth, it's so bad. George looks inside the tree and starts poking at something. He pulls out this thin, stinky, wet pile of fabric. Neither of us have an explanation for it, but then he stretches it out, and we see that it's covered in scales. And I realize that it's not fabric. It's a skin, like a giant lizard or something shed it off. There's the part that would be the torso, and two long sleeves what must have been the arms. And we were right. It's got to be human-sized. George holds up the skin like a shirt, and he could fit inside it easily. Now, both of us are ready to call it a day. I radio back to the station for the other rangers. I tell them an estimate of where we are and what we found. There's no sign of the animal. We have no way to tell if it's watching us. George and I head back for the vehicle as fast as we can, without making too much noise. When we get back to the station and tell the other rangers... They have a bunch of questions that I don't know how to answer. I don't think anyone would have believed us if we didn't bring back that skin. The head ranger decides we should all avoid the area for the time being. I think he hoped that whatever it was would leave, so that we wouldn't have to deal with it. I know I did. We all hustled to finish our work over the next few days. I cleared out before that blizzard hit. I was away from the park for about three weeks. When we all came back, the first thing the head ranger had us do was head out to that river area. He wanted to know if there were any signs of that animal. I was hoping it died from the cold, honestly. The snow had thawed a little. It was easy to lead the team to where George and I first found those tracks. Of course, they were buried now. Finding the tree was much harder, though. We patrolled within a two, maybe a three-mile radius of where George and I found the skin. When nothing came up, We were all pretty relieved. Maybe that thing had migrated. We didn't know. There are no reptiles native to our park. We're too far north and the cold would kill them. But over the spring and summer, we kept finding these chunks of lizard skin. Nothing as big as the one George and I brought back, but large enough to be concerning. They all had the same sulfury smell. Maybe the thing is getting injured. I don't know. The park visitors haven't spotted anything yet. George found a trail of hoof prints at the edge of a campsite last week. Whatever this creature is, it's tried to hide so far. We don't know how it might interact with humans or if someone could get hurt. Thanks for listening. Whatever this thing is, if I manage to get my eyes on it, I'll let you know. Hey there, Donovan. I'm writing in to you from Pittsburgh. I had an experience earlier this year. And I don't know many people to tell. I figured you'd might be a good fit. I'm a police officer and I usually get put on the night shift with my partner Jack. Our beat is usually pretty quiet. Sometimes we'll get a domestic disturbance or have to bust some kid's party. But in general, our neighborhood doesn't give us much to do. We had a fairly hot summer for Pittsburgh. 
People had their AC on full blast, basically from the end of June, and would short out their power. And most of the people in this neighborhood are seniors. We got a lot of calls asking us to escort people to the hospital for heat stroke. It was actually worse at night, because people just couldn't cool down. One of those calls was from an older lady. She had been retired for years and lives with her son, but he was out of town on a business trip. He hadn't heard from her in a few days and asked us to go check on her at night. She didn't answer the door, but I could hear the TV on inside. Jack and I circled around the back and hopped the fence. Once we were in her yard, I could see that she was in the kitchen. From the window, it sounded like she was talking to someone in the other room, but I couldn't make out the words. I knocked on the back door and asked her to let us in. She looked surprised to see us standing there, so I explained that her son had sent us. She came out into the yard and told us that she needed a place to stay, because she didn't want to be in that house. At that point, Jack and I were concerned. I asked her if someone was in there with her. She said no. I asked her if she was in danger, and she said she wasn't sure. That just made us more confused. She told us that she had been seeing things over the past couple of weeks. Doors opening and closing by themselves. Footsteps in the attic. That sort of thing. When she went to sleep, she felt like someone was standing over her. She said she didn't tell her son about it because she didn't want him to think she was crazy. We didn't know what to say to that. If it was anyone else, I would have thought they were joking. But this lady didn't seem like that. And I'm thinking, alright, she's almost 80 years old. She's not used to being alone. Maybe she just worked herself up. Jack and I asked if we could go in her house and take a look around. I told her that we'd stay with her while she packed an overnight bag. I could tell she really didn't want to let us in. Maybe she thought it was dangerous. I don't know. But she led us back into the house. We searched the house, but we didn't find anything out of the ordinary. No one was in there but us. We checked all the closets and under the beds, and there was nothing. We told this lady that we didn't see anything, but she insisted that something was in her house. We waited in the bedroom while she packed. Then we hear this stomping noise coming from upstairs. It sounded like somebody was jumping up and down in the attic. She got really spooked, so I told Jack to wait with her while I checked it out. The attic was full of junk and old boxes. It was dusty too, like no one had been up there in ages. I waved my flashlight around to see if I could spot a raccoon or something. But no one was up there but me. And there weren't any windows either. So it wasn't like anything could have blown in from the outside. I was just about to head back downstairs when I heard the stomping again. It sounded like it was right in front of me. And I'm telling you, I was looking at nothing but thin air. I even walked over to where it was coming from and moved some boxes out of the way. Every time I went forward, the stomping jumped back, like whatever it was had to keep moving backwards so that we wouldn't be on top of each other. I didn't know what to tell this lady or my partner. I didn't have an explanation for what I was hearing, and I had to believe my own two eyes, even if it didn't make any sense. I knew that she hadn't been wrong, but I didn't know if confirming her fears would be so good for her. So I went back downstairs and told Jack to check out the attic. If he didn't have the same experience as me, I figured I could just write it all off. I got this lady out of the house and set her up with her friend a few blocks down. When I got back to the house, Jack was standing outside. He said he had something to tell me and that he didn't want me to laugh. That's how I knew we heard the same thing. When I got back to the house, Jack was standing outside. We weren't really sure what to do. 
It's not like we could do a stakeout and hope the ghost showed itself. We weren't even sure it was a ghost. I called this lady's son to let him know that his mother was fine, and we got her out of there. Anyways, that was this summer. I check on her every so often, and she says she's still hearing things. Her son started hearing and seeing things too. Now they're debating whether to sell the house or not. Hi Donovan, I'm actually writing in on behalf of my dad, who listens to your channel occasionally when we happen to be in the car together. The best part about this is it brings us a little closer together. My dad is a pretty quiet guy and has always kept to himself. He's a wastewater maintenance worker for years and has worked long hours. We're getting to bond now that I'm older and he's retired. We recently stopped by this local diner to grab some dinner together. I'm in college now about four hours away from home, but head back some weekends to visit. After settling in and ordering, my dad asked me if I had experienced anything weird at my college. It's a well-known school in the far north of the Northeast and has a ton of haunted history. I told him that I never personally experienced anything, but a lot of the students in my building have seen things here and there, mostly ghostly figures that are said to roam the grounds. I explained that I wasn't opposed to seeing something, and I was thinking of going out late at night with a few friends who hadn't had a ghost experience yet. My dad, sitting across the booth from me, shuddered and said, I should avoid those kind of encounters at all costs. That, of course, caught my attention. Neither of my parents are very religious, and I can't remember them ever talking about anything supernatural or paranormal. But it sounded like my dad had some personal experience here, a reason behind his warning. I kept it casual, knowing that prying too hard would probably make him clam up, and asked him if he ever experienced anything himself. He mauled it over for a while. Our food was served, so we got interrupted but eventually grunted and admitted that he had, when he was about my age. For some background, my dad grew up near the shore in New England. He lived in a coastal town that, today, has a small commercial fishing fleet and a power plant all on the mouth of a river. I've only been there once or twice, the last time right after my grandmother passed, and we cleared out their house. It was sad, but nothing spooky. I thought the town was cool. Very beach-centered with some seafood shacks on almost every street. Anyway, my dad went to the local high school and was part of the normal group of guys. Meaning that they got into a little bit of trouble here and there. Nothing serious, but enough to get the blood moving. And they often pushed each other with dares. About 10 minutes away from his high school, right up on the shoreline, there's an old abandoned building. I asked if it was still there, and he said it is. Although he never went back to see it. From what I understand, it was used as a tuberculosis treatment center for kids at one point. The government set it up and maintained it during an epidemic. Sea air is supposed to help with lung issues, so a lot of kids went there to get better. When it started emptying out, the government repurposed it into an asylum. They put a lot of mentally unhealthy people in there. But unfortunately, as most people are aware these days, the treatments used to be pretty bad back then. It was shut down a few years after it opened up due to neglect and abuse, and then abandoned. The government, to this day, still owns the property. They never knocked the buildings down. All through high school, my dad and his friends had heard about the asylum, and once they reached their senior year, they got into the usual dare match and decided to go there one afternoon. 
This was kind of sketchy since the area was regularly patrolled, but one of his friends claimed that he knew a back way and through the hole in a fence. After school, they rode their bikes to this abandoned asylum and hid them in some bushes off the road. The friend then led the group to the fence. Everyone ducked in and they were on the grounds. My dad cleared his throat a lot and seemed reluctant to keep telling this story, but I gave him a little space. I think he really just wanted to get this off of his chest after all these years. Eventually, he continued and told me about how they only made it to the first floor ground level when strange things started happening. First, they heard this metal door slam. A lot of windows had been broken out in the building, and it was exposed to the outdoors, so the group stuck together, thinking that a random person had just shown up or was waiting around to scare visitors. But as they went in the opposite direction of the sound, peeking into rooms here and there, they started to hear footsteps. The steps were pretty loud in the empty building and hurried. My dad waited in the hallway outside one room that gave him the heebie-jeebies, as he said. So he was alone when he heard the footsteps rushing towards him. He whirled around and shouted as a shape came at him, flinging up his arms, but no one ran into him, and when he looked, there was no one there. His friends all piled out of the room, freaked out, and asked what happened. He told them, and although they made fun of him a bit, everyone agreed to leave quickly after that. The worst part was, he told me, the footsteps didn't stop. The group could hear the sound slowly following them out of the building, and it took everything in my dad not to run. That's one dare they didn't repeat. They were only in the building for maybe 15 minutes, but my dad insists there's no point in exposing yourself to the unknown. He made me promise not to creep around my college looking for ghosts, but I might give it a shot anyway. You have to see it to believe it, right? 